Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic. I am your host, Barry, and tonight we have another wonderful guest joining us. This gentleman spent some time in Walt Disney, but that's not his story completely, so we will meet him in a minute. Uh, First of all, let's go ahead and say hello to our our cast tonight. Tonight we have Lisa joining us. How are you doing, Lisa? Hello. I'm freezing cold here in the Midwest, uh, negative numbers is our temperature right now so I, i'm hanging in there though ready to talk about warm disney <laughs> way more tropical than here no matter what <laughs> absolutely and we have matt joining us tonight how you doing matt well barry i would be better if our football team performed better this <laughs> evening but i am excited to get the opportunity to speak with our guest and get my mind off that a little bit for those who don't know that'd be the dallas chokes They seem to do that every year. But getting back to happier things, our guest tonight did spend some, I would say, quality time at Disney working (laughs) um, on various projects. But like I said, his story goes well beyond Disney. So let's go ahead and welcome our guest tonight, Mel McGowan. How are you doing? Good, good. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Great. It is absolutely a pleasure, and we are so excited to have you on here. So, Mel, let's go ahead and, you know, like I like to ask the majority of our guests who come on here, why don't you give us the backstory on how you got to Disney? Yeah, I don't know how far back uh, we want to go, but uh, my dad worked for Disney. My uh, earliest memories uh, were at Disney. Um, I was actually my, uh, born in Saigon, Vietnam, and I uh, had a couple of weird early memories uh, one was of bombs going off in Vietnam uh, right before the fall of Saigon, right before I evac'd and, and got the heck out of there. Uh, and then the second of those earliest memories was uh, walking down Main Street, USA at night. Uh, and, um, and then we, we actually, as a military family, we, uh, we actually moved to uh, Germany in Europe. So I actually only had those early fuzzy memories. Uh, it wasn't like a regular thing uh, to go to the the park, unlike uh, so many other Imagineers that grew up in Southern California. But uh, you know, I had that kind of fixation in my head. I remember in Germany actually uh, watching the opening of Epcot uh, in 1982, uh, in uh, you know, on a black and white TV, and just seeing that monorail glisten over a, a lagoon. And I had had my fill of all those charming cobblestone streets and Bavarian villages, and Yuck, yuck, yuck. I was ready for, uh, you know, the, 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 the bright, shiny 1982 corporate vision of America and the future that Epcot represented. So I convinced my dad to uh, move back to the States and uh, eventually uh, finished uh, school out there, film school, and then uh, went to work for the Walt Disney Company. I actually did write my first letter to uh, Wed Enterprises, the, uh, the, the previous name for Disney Imagineering. I think around 1982, like I said, right around the time I saw that uh, that opening, uh, you know, newscast, and uh, you know, I, I you know got the the letter back, which said, "Stay in school, kid," uh, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> I went to film school, um, and uh, long story, I spent the 90s, uh, uh, what what Michael Eisner called the Disney decade, uh, at uh, at the Walt Disney Company, little Mickey Mouse operation there. So, what what was it about? Disney that was like, I have to work here. I mean, you know, I, I know you brought up, you know, having seen different things, things like that. But was there one thing in particular that drew you into Disney? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think for me, it was really, like I said, you know, the the difference of the world as it was, you know, as uh, between, you know, 
bombs of Vietnam. We actually had terrorist attacks in the military housing where I was in Germany. You know, the Berlin Wall was still up as a kid. You know, you'd hear uh, people getting shot, trying to jump. I mean, it was just the world as it was versus the idea of a world that could and should be, um, you know, again, which I, I kind of got a, a glimpse of, you know, on that memory on Main Street that night. I got a glimpse of on that fuzzy TV uh, broadcast of, of Epcot's opening. Uh, and really just as I was uh, thinking about what to uh, go to study in school and where I was going to go to school, I was just fixated on this this idea of what Epcot was really more supposed to be rather than what it eventually, because this idea of this experimental prototype uh, community of tomorrow. So I actually, uh, you know, was debating between studying film and, and actually studying master planning and and design, which I ended up getting my master's in. So it was really, I think, that idea of just shaping a, a, a better world, really, that uh, was, uh, you know, something that uh, resonated with me at, at pretty some pretty early weird wiring. You know, of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting as a 12-year-old kid drawing master plans for theme parks and future cities. I, I had no idea there'd be these, you know, video games like Roller Coaster Tycoon and <laughs> Sim City, and you know, I wish I would have copywritten some of those uh, <laughs> ideas. You know, would have would have been a millionaire. So, yeah, basically, it, it it always seems like it's always the things in the rearview mirror that you wish you actually would have done that things would have <laughs> brought it up. But um, working for Michael Eisner, so what did you actually do during your time there? Well, um, you know, the project I mostly spent my time on was the renewal of. Um, the uh, Disneyland Resort, you know, that was uh, I worked on at various. Uh, actually, I applied at Disney when they announced the uh, the Long Beach project, uh, Port Disney, Disney Seas. Um, but uh, quickly, the uh, the Westcott, ultimately Disneyland Resort projects, really what uh, came to the fore. So, um, really working on um, an area that we called Wow West of West, which was the 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 master planning for. Uh, all the hotel properties that Disney had acquired from the Rather Corporation, the Disneyland Hotel, what was then the Pan Pacific Hotel, and what's going to be renamed the Pixar Place uh, Hotel, the you know the world's largest parking structure, um, you know the integration of downtown Disney as a as a pedestrian link uh, of all those different elements, uh, and obviously in doing things like the Grand California and downtown Disney, that obviously touches into some of the the uh, redeveloped Disneyland parking lot, uh, the areas of California Venture that were originally known as Golden State. Um, and so, yeah, it was really just, uh, you know, my what my uh, graduate thesis was on while I was working at Disney still was the idea of Disney Imagineering beyond the berm, you know, and, and how could the principles of what, what I now call spatial storytelling be applied, um, you know, outside of a big paywall and a big berm that, you know, costs $150 or whatever, just a step foot across a, a, a turnstile. What, what does it look like to actually affect, quote, the real world, whether it's literally just steps outside of the turnstiles uh, into a downtown Disney or a themed hotel, or really, again, in entire communities that people can live, work and play in. So it's been a pretty amazing ride over the last uh, few decades to kind of tinker with that idea. So, Mel, we definitely want to get into what you've been doing uh, post-Disney. I do have to ask one question. This is a personal one. Uh, we've never been to Disneyland, my family. We are big Disney World people. We are going to Disneyland for the first time this summer. So as someone with some background information on the place, what's the one thing that I have to make sure we do when we're there? Well, it's simple. It's it's. Let me know when you're coming so I can hook you up and uh, walk you through and uh, oh, okay. kind of take care of you. <laughs> happy to Happy to hang hang with you. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, um, you know, the first thing I would say, like from a logistical practical level is lower the expectations uh, in terms of scope and scale uh, magnitude. I mean, you you know the stats. I mean, you know that Disney World was a, you know, an entire, uh, you know, city, uh, 45 right. square miles is the scale of uh, San Francisco or twice of Manhattan compared to yeah. this uh, little quarter section of land, 160 acres that, <laughs> what well, was able to kind of quote scrounge up, which sounded way bigger than he could possibly <laughs> imagine, you know, especially compared to that little weed filled lot across the studio that he was originally thinking about for, uh, <laughs> for Disneyland. But I think once you, once you uh, lower those expectations in terms of size and you just, obviously I'm sure you're aware that the historical significance, right. the, the uh, aura, the authenticity to me, it, it's like, you know, it's like seeing the original Mona Lisa versus okay. someone scanning it and throwing it on the side of a high rise building. You know, right. it might be bigger, uh, you okay. know, and, you know, but it's just a qual qualitatively different thing. 
my my analogy is it's like the difference of comparing like a a Tuscan hill town to Rome or a, a okay. you know a French village to Paris. They're just they're both amazing, awesome, excellent, but they're just different categories if that makes yeah. sense. And and that's yeah. just talking about Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom, not not just the the entire resort. But uh, right. but yeah, with all that said, um, you know it's uh, definitely a pretty special place. So I you know it it does uh, unfortunately like a lot of Disney these days, it requires editing and curating. Uh, there's a lot of logistics, uh, you know, uh, timing. I, I wish it was as carefree as it might have been back right. in a certain eras. But uh, but yeah, yeah, have fun. Yeah, we're excited. All right. So it's good hearing. We hear a lot of like other fans that have been, but somebody who, you know, you have that background. You you were there to help <laughs> build it. So to hear the same thing, like that's what we're going with this mindset of we're going to be in the history of Disney. We're going to feel that this is where Walt was. This is absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, and I, and again, I love all the hotels, Don Ballard. I know you've had him as a guest. I love the history of the Disney hotel. That's actually kind of where I got my start actually while I was still in school. But, but I will say just, it's definitely my pride and joy uh, staying at the grand Californian being essentially in a Disney park. Um, you know, again, unless you're at Maricosta hotel at uh, Tokyo Disney sea, which uh, one of my design partners worked on, um, you know, there's just nothing like that, even in Florida, that, that idea of actually spending the night in the magic again, unless you, you land the Disney dream suite in the castle or something that, <laughs> uh, again, for, for the, uh, the, the, the average, uh, citizen of Disneyland to be able to, again, spend the night in a park, I think is pretty darn magical. And, yeah. and we've done that uh, a number of times over the years with the kids. So that's, that's pretty special. That's awesome. Okay. And not an easy thing to figure out, by the way, from a design programming and circulation and servicing. So real proud of uh, what we accomplished there with the Grand California, not just as a front gate hotel or an in-park hotel, but really the way that that from an urban design perspective that sits above a parking deck, you know, the ground level is an active, uh, you know, street on downtown Disney. Mm -hmm. It it really is a very complicated piece of urban design and urban planning uh, that really works really well, especially ironically, it's the most urban thing Disney's ever done, but it's, it's actually themed as a national park lodge. So, you know, yeah. completely contradictory <laughs> themes versus the actual multifunctions. So. Oh, that's what Disney excels at. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that and the unexpected. Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see all of that as well. Like the workings and, and the hotels and, you know, not comparing it to Disney world, but understanding that it is done a little bit differently but just kind of how successful is like what you said with that space, that constraint that they have that you don't see really in, in Disney world. So I'm well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll actually say, you know, a lot of the imperatives for getting the land in Disney world was very much based on Walt Disney kind of uh, discovering urban planning and wanting to do kind of this, this new way of doing life together, especially if you think about the mid sixties and race riots and American right. cities burning and, you know, suburbia had kind of just, you know, <laughs> you know, jumped over and ignored cities. And, and you know, what what I think we ended up doing with the master planning uh, for the Disneyland Resort was actually going back, not just to Walt Disney's plans for Epcot, but actually, you know, the roots, uh, the 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 guys that he was reading, uh, people like Victor Gruen and mm. some of the, the kind of optimistic, modernist uh, urban visionaries of, you know, what would it look like if we, we actually did direct freeway you know, on ramps uh, from the freeway right into parking structures. In fact, the world's largest parking garages. And what if those were reversible on ramps that could float you back right to the freeway without ever hitting a surface street? Uh, What if we, uh, you know, had one of the longest pedestrian links in America where you never have to wait for a traffic signal to cross a six lane street? What if we, you know, put the cars underneath the pedestrian path? What if we did vertical mix? I mean, we, so we did all this stuff that actually is at the scale of a true urban European walkable city, mm. as opposed to suburban sprawl, which, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, there's times where uh, Orlando and especially even Disney World can feel like <laughs> the world's prettiest suburban sprawl resort oh, yeah. when you have to take buses, planes, boats, whatever, you know, trains <laughs> to get, uh, you know, 30 minutes across uh, yeah, property where planes. I'm yeah, waiting for yeah. The planes to hit. <laughs> well, yeah, Skyliner is supposed to get for now. Yeah. You get Skyliners. Yeah. 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 So, so Mel, I know nobody, nobody stays at Disney forever or works here unless you're Bob Kerr and you're there forever. So, um, after your time working for the mouse, where, where did you go after you, you left uh, Disney? 
Yeah. Um, well, so I actually, uh, Disney paid for my grad degree. I went to Cal Poly, same, same place as Bob Weiss and a lot of, a lot of good, uh, folks. Uh, I think Barbara Buzo, the current, uh, Disney imagining president went there as well, but, um, did my master's and, um, ended up getting hired by one of my professors right out of school. Actually, he offered, uh, two, two projects that were both bigger than the Disneyland resort, which I, you know, never thought I'd get to work on something bigger than the 460 acres that, uh, Disney had acquired at that that point one was a you know an entire new town a, a 1700 acre new city a uh, new town and then another one was um working actually with several uh native american tribes in master planning uh destination resorts including the morongo casino resort on the way to palm spring so that was kind of an offer i couldn't uh couldn't pass up. And then shortly thereafter, uh, we started Storyland Studios, which is uh, the ragtag team of uh, over 100 uh, plus uh, former Imagineers, universal creatives, spatial storytellers. Uh, we, we, we call ourselves three-dimensional storytellers that lift the spirit. Uh, and so we started that uh, right after 9-11, actually in 2001. So, um, you know, it's been going for well, over two decades, we actually, actually last week, we just had our international team from uh, the UK, from across the US, from Asia, come together for a week uh, to celebrate at Universal City Hollywood, uh, Universal Studios, uh, because of uh, the, the involvement of a number of our key members on, on that, uh, specifically the master plan there, but also Super Nintendo World from kind of blue sky through build. So that was kind of a blast to have all the the friends and family out to getting to experience that blurring of the lines of video game and reality and three dimensions and digital uh, storytelling uh, all together all at the same time. So you mentioned video game because I got to ask you, I'm a big video game guy. I love gaming. Are, first of all, are you a gamer? Like, do you do you partake in that? I see the. I, I I am. Although you know, I try to think of myself as more of a reader than a than a gamer. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's part of the job. You know, right. <laughs> I should say. Um, we we actually definitely have uh, you know, much deeper divers and gamers uh, on our right. team. But yeah, basically, you know, the just the nuts and bolts of it is, you know, gaming is twice as big. I mean, it's, it's bigger than the revenues of the film and music industry mm. combined. And, and, you know, for a lot of, uh, you know, kind of our, our theme park genre, that's been so, so based on televisual, uh, cinematic properties for so long. Um, you know, we, the, the you know, I would say a, a good majority of the projects we're working on, uh, in terms of the tens of billions of dollars is, and that's an easily an understatement in terms of the construction value of the projects mm. uh, are really about, blurring the lines between gaming and physical reality and uh, letting you step into uh, those interactive stories in a way that uh, you could only dream about. Um, one of those projects just got announced actually, I think a week or two ago. I'm not sure if you've heard of the uh, Kadia e-gaming district uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they, they brought out Mark Hamill to, to do the, uh, <laughs> the announcement. You can go on YouTube and check it out. But um, yeah, if you're if you're not aware of that, pretty big deal. But uh, the the little teaser clip gives you a little bit of sense of what we've been up to for the last few years. Uh, but uh, but yeah, um, we we were partnered, especially with companies like Ubisoft, a uh, number of strategic partners, and in, in uh, looking at bringing those to life. So uh, it's definitely keeping us busy. So we're having fun. I feel like that's a that's a, it's really interesting that you said that you know gaming is bigger. Then when you when you think about the cinematic universes and and music and and all that combined, it, that that seems to be the trend in in your expertise that these theme parks are moving towards like in general or just these specific theme parks that you've been working with or do you think like do you think we'll see Disney embrace video game property that they might make or you know like you said Orlando has Nintendo they have that deal with them to bring Nintendo World is that what we're going to see more of when it comes to theme parks? Um, well, I have a feeling, uh, okay. it's just, uh, you know, I think we're still on the front edge of it. It's definitely, um, a lot of untapped potential there. And, um, you know, I, you know, again, I was a film major, I was a musician, I was assigned <laughs> to a label and I mean, I, I love music. I love film. Um, you know, I love, uh, just binge watching being a passive consumer, <laughs> but I think really you're, you're generally seeing this push for people to, to be able to interact uh, more and more, not just with the stories and the media, but again, uh, with these, uh, you know, fully realized environments that uh, that uh, are being created and that we're working on in the future. Um, so it's the difference between, again, passively consuming and being a waiter versus 
uh, getting in that water and, uh, right. you know, snorkeling or surfing or whatever. They just, you know, there's only so much you can do from a chase lounge, you know, and, right. uh, and, and once, once you get in, I just got back from, like I said, a project in Maui, but once you, once you get in, you put the goggles on, you, you get under the water, you see what's under that reality. It's a, it's a whole other level than what you can see from the, the pool or the beach as nice as that is. Right. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Kind of I'm, excited. I'm excited about that. All right, I'm going to back off because I've been geeking out a little bit about the gaming. I'll let somebody else hop in, but that's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> All right, Lisa, you have a question? I do. Um, I wanted to see if you would like to talk about um, Disney's influences on the real world, like celebrations, retail, cities, churches, those sorts of things. Well, I would love to, since that's actually what I did my graduate uh, thesis on. It was on uh, <laughs> on uh, Disney Beyond the Berm and uh, kind of the idea of imagineering and spatial storytelling. Uh, and, uh, you know, could there be some relevance to that? Um, you know, while I was still at Disney, they were working on Celebration. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a old school member of a group called the Congress for New Urbanism, uh, which is uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, de- real estate developers, planners, architects, uh, thinkers, that uh, sociologists that have really realized that uh, there's uh, something in the mix of uh, human-scaled, walkable, diverse uh, kind of places that uh, people have historically loved. Uh, there's something that uh, is magic about that. That we've uh, we've in, in many ways Disney has recaptured some of that magic in, in recreating places like Main Street USA and. New Orleans Square and Liberty Square, uh, but things about modern planning and design and laws and zoning have actually made that uh, almost uh, illegal to build. And so uh, part of this urbanism, this new urbanism movement is about trying to uh, restore the ability to create places that people love, um, you know, from ground up uh, and not just, uh, you know, try to protect the old uh, endangered species uh, of those historic communities, but uh, in in places of the world where we actually do need desperately new housing and new ecologies for humans, that there's a way to do that that doesn't just look like the United States or generica. Uh, and uh, so that that's you know that's one aspect to to it. Uh, towns like uh, Celebration, um, if you've ever been to Seaside, Florida, that's an early example that was even before Celebration. That's where they filmed the Truman Show. But that whole strip in Florida, which you may know, we're working on a project in a town called Trillith, uh, Georgia, um, in uh, south of Atlanta, uh, where uh, Dan Cathy, the, the former head of Chick-fil-A, is building uh, an entire city that's going to be this cultural creative ecosystem for creatives. Uh, it's, it's actually anchored by uh, what was formerly known as Pinewood Studios, uh, Georgia, but now it's called Trillith Studios. It's actually the the um, one of the busiest, uh, biggest movie studios in the world right now. It's where the entire, most of the entire uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has been filmed. Um, so uh, we actually uh, have an office and a location there that uh, that we we love. Um, they don't like it when you call it Yollywood, but it really is uh, become. Uh, if you if you start looking at the thanks to the Georgia Film Commission Peach logo, you you really start realizing how much media is actually filmed there already. So, so that, you know, that kind of stuff is fun. And we're doing those types of uh, communities that, you know, when I just got back from Maui, we work on a uh, mixed income, uh, affordable community um, north of Disney's Alani. Um, we're working on uh, new towns, new cities from ground up uh, in the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia. So that's an example of entire communities. But again, whether it is churches we've worked with, Probably uh, most of the biggest, fastest growing uh, faith communities uh, in the in the country, from Willow Creek to Saddleback Church to um, you name it, and uh, trying to rethink about you know the idea of uh, campuses that sit empty six and a half days of the week. How do how do you open those up to become desk community gathering destinations seven days a week? And how do you have kids dragging their parents to church, not the other ways around? You know by having kind of uh, you know some of the best places that mommies and me's can can hang and make memories all week and a lot of it is all just about the power of story you know we're working on uh, a children's hospital in uh, Oklahoma right now um, and again it's the power of the you know on the side of this children's hospital building is a giant Godzilla sized caterpillar because it's all about the power of the potential transformation and what a what a what a better metaphor than a caterpillar that's about to, to merge into a uh, a butterfly, you know, and, and we've got a, a little chapel that's kind of uh, basically metaphorically is going to be like a, um, a chrysalis uh, 
you know, it's this beautiful organic shape, but just, again, what a wonderful metaphor for the power of transformation of mind, body, and spirit. So uh, we, we have fun with uh, spaces that tell stories and destinations that lift the spirit uh, around the world. So. I love that. The thought of the intentional planning. I, I know that most people go in intentionally, but you're looking at that, that holistic outlook. And, and I love that. Thank you. Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, we were at um, Universal this week with our team. And I, I remember the first time I saw Universal City Walk, uh, I was actually uh, participating in a conference on futurism. And William Shatner was actually <laughs> being the goofy MC. And I just remember thinking, man, you, you know, you got to get out of this hotel. We were at the Universal City Hilton at the time, which is a very 80s kind of hotel. I was like, you guys need to get out of this ballroom and just step over a few steps to Universal City Walk. Because that's that's a look, taste, see of the future, you know, because the the uh, architect, urban designer that did that, John Jurdy, uh, he's, he's no longer with us now, but he really wanted to kind of bring Blade Runner to life. And but at the same time, celebrate all these different aspects of of Los Angeles that you have in your head when you think you're flying in and you're going to see, but then when you, you get there and you see the homeless guy on Hollywood Boulevard or, you know, the, the prostitutes walking around, it just, you know, it failed to deliver on the, the, you know, that again, that Hollywood uh, never was, but always will be, you know, you had to, you had to go to Orlando to experience it uh, before Universal City Walk opened up. And um, so anyways, it's, it's been fun kind of getting to try that out at different levels over the last few decades. And one last thing I loved, to hear the lens that you look at things with, you know, because yes. walking into to City Walk, yeah, I mean, you are fully immersed in in that um, in that culture and the busyness and the sights, the sounds, all of the things together. So, well, I will say this because I'm a fan of both, uh, and you know, our team has been involved with City the City Walks around the world, um, specifically Jeff Dameron, my uh, architecture master planning partner, but. Um, you know, one of the the huge metaphors that was a big deal for the original CityWalk designer, and that's true of both the Orlando and LA version, is the inspiration of uh, Italian hill towns. Um, and you know, whether you're uh, experiencing the the Piazza della Cisterna at San Gimignano, uh, that's the Popchet Fountain uh, at the, and I'm, I'm specifically referring to the California Park, but the, there's a central hub with the the interactive water fountains by Wet Design. Uh, and Mark Sumner, and then there's the uh, the 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 second piazza is the one that uh, historically would have been in front of the cathedral. And uh, you know, I think it used to be Hard Rock, and 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 now it's uh, uh, Tucson Chocolate Factory. But it had this dome roof. It was very in the AMC. It very much had this kind of anchor, you know, uh, cathedral piazza type feel. But you know, the, that the, even the way the street rises and falls, it's not just a flat street you're you actually are in of course in universal city walk california you're actually on top of a hill overlooking uh the hollywood hills and san fernando valley so um and and i love even in pancake flat swampland orlando they they recreated that right with that kind of second walk up to the club level uh that gets you up to the cinema so they're even trying to recreate artificially that sense of topography there and that that urban density which is obviously a, a very different feel than the feel of disney springs which uh you know, I could talk about all day as well, but uh, <laughs> I love the compare contrast of all these different environments. So, Yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, you brought up the Truman Show and every time I watch the Truman Show, it reminds me of what Epcot could have been, <laughs> like, like how it, it could have been very, you know, someone watched, I don't know, I, 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 I know it's, it, it's, you know, apples and oranges, but every time I, I see that, that's what makes me think of it. So, Mel, let me ask you, so what is the outlook for your company? I mean, what seems like you have your hands in a lot of pies and it's like, so what, you know, at the end, what, what, what's your big goal? What, what, what do you hope to accomplish? Well, uh, hopefully that's, Stay, stay out of the cow pies uh, for one, but, uh, you know, we, we actually, uh, we doubled in size during COVID. You know, one of the things we realized is that, you know, rather than everybody being, you know, I thought to be creative, everyone had to be on top of each other, you know, so we had like 60 people all in one facility here in Southern California crammed on top of each other. And we're doing everything from designing stuff to building stuff. And, and really what COVID uh, freed us up to do was to say, hey, look, we, we can figure out a way to work globally and work from anywhere and collaborate with creatives 
and so that's allowed us to really double in size and we're continuing to to collaborate with some of the the biggest uh firms in the world whether it's Gensler uh, the biggest architecture firm in the world where Bob Weiss uh is is nowadays with uh um, some of the biggest developers um, and partners in the world. So um, sky's the limit. Uh, we, we, we really, uh, I think for us, we definitely have this kind of unique family uh, type feel that we've been really careful to guard in terms of our culture, um, the, the way that we uh, really relate. Uh, we've never been the type of firm that just hires and fires and, and grows exponentially and then just cuts people loose. Uh, you know, we've, we've really had the slow crawl in terms of, uh, you know, our team and dynamics. But I think for us, it's always about uh, being able to work on the um, most impactful projects that, you know, have the the highest level of relevance to us. The stories that we get to steward mean a lot to us, whether that's Harry Potter or Star Wars or, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. We, I love the IPs that we get to, to play with. I love the sandboxes we, we get to play with, uh, the different regions of the world. Um, but for us, first and foremost, it's about you know, people. It's about our our own team. It's about our clients, and and really having relationships with uh, people that we we uh, can you know grow to love and trust. Um, you know, I would take a a, a road trip with a, a client that I, I love and trust, uh, even if it's a a less uh, you know uh, extravagant project in scope and size than some uh, big shiny toy that is just a kind of a not not a fun uh, camping trip, if that makes sense. So. Um, we're, we're really about being pretty selective in who and where we work, but, uh, so far so good. So it's been a good ride. All right. So you need to tell me and tell us all about what went in on the plain Joe studios. I was, I was doing some research on it, but I think, um, our listeners would can. So what, what was behind that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we started a, a group to focus on, uh, nonprofit causes. Um, in a lot of ways, it's sort of like a foundation. We we used to just do like a pro bono project a year. We used to kind of uh, target, and we actually still do. We we do uh, the Storyland Design Challenge, or we'll do uh, a, a Plain Joe Design Challenge for a worthy cause. But what we were able to do is come up with a, a kind of a brand or a kind of a, a front door that lets us specifically work uh, with uh, nonprofits and causes. Um, and again, we've, we've done everything from a, an entire village for survivors of child sex trafficking to, to get them, uh, you know, uh, co-house with a, a house mom and get them through school and get them through uh, independent living. And, you know, just, again, amazing transformation stories. Uh, we're, we did our first uh, in our industry. We have our own Oscar Awards program. It's called the Thea Awards, the Themed Entertainment Association Awards. The very first Thea Award we got was for a nonprofit group called Children's Hunger Fund. We did the uh, the poverty encounter forum uh, here in Los Angeles, right by Six Flags, uh, where you actually go on a simulated plane ride to a third world country. You get out of your plane, you're in Haiti right after the earthquake, in the rubble, in the bricks. Uh, then you, then you go to a, you follow a child, then you're 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 following his story, and then you go into a Nepalese brick factory and you understand child slavery. Uh, then you then you go into a Romanian sewer and you smell the the humidity. You see the rats. I mean, it, it is a, an experiential, multi sensory journey. Uh, and again, you you leave with hope. Shockingly, through all that, uh, I don't want to give it all away. But uh, if you're in, ever in LA, it's it's by far one of the 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 more immersive type uh, uh, experiences. Certainly, take all the tricks of the trade that we've learned, all the brain damage we've incurred. Uh, you know, places like Disney and Universal. But again, at the end of that, you actually get to do something about it. You're not just left with a feeling of uh, sadness. Or I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon. Ooh, that's was, that was rough, man. <laughs> so we, we want to leave people with a, a little bit more of empowerment <laughs> rather than hopelessness, you know. And so uh, we're able to kind of, I, I think, pull that off. We're working on an international disability uh, center right now to to let let you walk in someone else's uh, moccasins or in their wheelchair, just really understanding different types of ab abilities. And so, yeah, it's it's just we never know who's going to be other, on the other line when the phone rings uh, every day. So it's been uh, been been cool. Dude, they're just layers and layers with you. It's just <laughs> it's just a lot. Um, by by right. the way, the Plain Joe name was just the simple idea. I don't know if that's what you're asking about, but <laughs> almost every other design firm, especially architecture firms, in some cases, they're legally required to have someone's name in the firm. And even though, like, for example, my brother is a partner, uh, our third brother is our director of design. We just never, we, I was always, I think, smart enough to not put my name on the door, uh, you know, because we, we knew it was going to be bigger than just, <laughs> 
you know, someone always wanted to talk to a McGowan. So um, the idea of just telling stories to reach the, the the highest number of average Joes and plain Janes out there, and we're average Joes and plain Janes just uh, getting to do what we do to to tell stories that lift the spirits. So that, that's where the plain Joe name kind of came in was sort of that idea of anonymous process-oriented design and letting the story be the sh star rather than uh, any kind of celebrity star architect or celebrity designer. So, Mel, could I ask, where where did that desire to just do good come from? We all have this inherent desire to do good, and you have this amazing career working with Disney and Universal and doing these huge urban projects and theme parks and I'm sure that, you know, there's, there's a lot of money and there's all this stuff going on. What's making you do that? Cause that stuff, like, of course, everything else you're mentioning, I'm totally geeking out and loving, but that's the stuff where I'm like, that's amazing that you would do that. And you know, you said you won your, I'm sorry, what was the name of the award? The Theo? Uh, the Theo award. Yeah. Right. That was your first award for doing something like that. So like, where does that desire come from? Well, I mean, I think uh, you said it. We all have that desire in us. So you, your guess is probably as good as mine. Um, I think we're born with I think we're wired with it. I think, uh, you know, I, I have a personal conviction that we're made in the image of a of a good creator. And so we, we actually uh, are creative because of that. We, we actually want, you know, generally speaking, people, if they had a choice, they would rather uh, feed a kid rather than steal right, food right. from that kid. You know, I mean, right. just the the general wiring. Um, I think, um, you know, there's actually a lot of, um, I think it is a common thing. If people had the opportunity, they would love, and we have found this, the, the willingness uh, of people in the industry to give, to donate, to, you know, it's just obviously they, they've also got to make their mortgage and pay the rent and whatever. We've right. just, I think, been a little more intentional about uh, being able to to do that more often than, than uh, just waiting, you know, once every 10 years when we were asked to go right. on in this journey. I mean, we just found that the more often, you know, we would, uh, you know, kind of contribute to, you know, being generous with time or um, stewardship, it, it just, it paid us way more than we ever gave, you know, anyone else. And so it's just opened uh, so many doors. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that idea of going from um, success to significance, you know, it, it's just mm -hmm. something that a lot of people do kind of at later points in their life. You know, I think um, even, yeah, even, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've always been a U2 fan. I'm, I'm you know, like Greenpeace, <laughs> save the world, save the whales. <laughs> you know, well, uh, it's, it's in that wiring, you know. What goes, so how do you pick, I guess, which project or where you, because there's so much that we can do for so many different things. Do, you, do people like suggest them to you or do these come from personal places? Are they just things that you see? Like, how do you choose to spend your time and resources and energy into some of these awesome projects that you're, you're doing. Well, for, yeah, most of our um, time, it's just been, it's just been frankly, just open doors and relationships, you know, mm -hmm. relationships build uh, these opportunities. Um, you know, I think we're getting a little more savvy, smart out of necessity. <laughs> um, so for example, I think last year, um, we we just did our first Plain Joe design. Job. I think we we have a little bit. We've gotten a little more sophisticated with kind of an application process and right. a systematic uh, process for reviewing the potential impact. But I mean, generally speaking, um, it's always just been trying to steward rather than squander. You know, the the yeah. few uh, little years of of productive time that we have on on this side of the dirt, right? We we all, yeah. you know, want to make that biggest impact. I mean, I, I have, as a dad of eight kids, including four 17-year-olds right now, I know I'm trying to steward every minute I have with them because I know yeah. that like that time is, you know, where they're just in the home uh, before they go off to college is, is kind of precious. So we kind of feel the same about our our design resources that, you know, we, we want to make the biggest impact we can in the limited time that we have. So um, awesome. yeah, it's just, just a, yeah, that sense of stewardship. That is awesome. Very excellent find with Mel. I don't know how you yeah. connected with him, but that is awesome. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to live in the in the shadow of the draft off of my friend Tom Morris, man. That guy right. is a freaking genius, man. I, I love Tom. He was cool. So, he was good. Yeah. He, Such a yeah, good yeah he was a good chat. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like every week I'm just left dumbfounded, I guess. So Mel, on top of everything else you do, you're also an author and a professor. Why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> well, you know, for us, we there was a number of us that realized a few years back, uh, you know, I'm on a board of directors for a group called the Themed Entertainment Association, which, you know, used to be really small, just a former, you know, a group of former laid off Imagineers that basically just had to get together once a year for moral support, you know, kind of 
kind of a support group, like figure out how to get paid in China, you know, kind of deal with uh, Disney lawyers and all this stuff. But it, it started from this really small group to, um, you know, this, uh, this whole industry now um, that, you know, does go back and supports Disney and Universal and whoever. Uh, but really, we recognize that there was a real need because you didn't have this institutional knowledge that, you know, can come by osmosis, you know, where you, you've got these interns that kind of, you know, are learning from the foot of the masters and they, they can just hang out and then work their way up this, this ladder. We really needed to create an awareness, um, especially in the, uh, we, we decided to focus in the universities and some of the art programs and actually help create some of these themed entertainment programs that had a chance to help start a new program out uh, here in Southern California at a school called CBU, this College of Architecture, Visual Arts and Design, and served as an adjunct professor out there. And, you know, and I, it's the approach I love where you're mix, mixing all the different storytelling uh, mediums from, you know, graphic design, film, communications, architecture, urban planning. So you're not having that rigid boundaries between programs and schools. Uh, you know, in, in terms of our practice, we, we call it three-dimensional storytelling. So it's digital, interactive, uh, and strategic storytelling and spatial storytelling. So it, it's really um, storytelling, uh, you know, across different mediums. And uh, it's really been cool to get to both uh, teach that uh, and, and, and to write about it and talk about it wherever I get a chance. Uh, because, uh, you know, I've got uh, a daughter that's a fine artist. I've got a son that thinks he wants to be an engineer. You know, there's all different left, right brain, different kinds of people. But, you know, the thing, one of the things I love about our industry is it truly is a collective art form. You really need that Motley crew to pull this off. You know, it's not just uh, any one genius as as much as, uh, you know, certain people like to talk a lot or act like it's a one man show. Uh, it's just not. That's just not the nature of, uh, of imaginary or spatial storytelling. So is it? Do you, do you see see the um I would say the the business itself is it still thriving? I mean, do a lot of people want to go into theme park business because of Disney and because of Universal? You know, I have I have two kids who one's in graphic design and one uh, who is going into engineering himself, and it just seems like you know they like the idea of working for Disney or working for a company like that, but they know that the the the, the pressure and you know getting your foot in the door is a lot harder than, than, you know, say if I'm going into a, a design firm or something like that, where I can start off as a, you know, as a junior associate, work my way up. So it, it, it's the pressure still there. And do, do people feel like, you know, Hey, this is a great business to get into. Well, I don't know too many people that are successful or that get into it because they're trying to be strategic about just purely maximizing a paycheck or getting the the most number of job offers or, you know, uh, whatever. It's definitely like probably like any, any uh, entertainment or high profile industry. It's definitely a pretty competitive one that a lot of people would love to to get into. You know, it's, you know, it's not too different than the the film industry or even the video game industry. I mean, it's, it's something when you have anything that you have a lot of fans of and that people would love to jump from being a fan to to being a a, a content creator. Um, it's, it's a challenge, right? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're busy. Uh, we're, we're looking for people <laughs> that's, I can, I can only talk about ourselves. Um, you know, I know a lot of the other, you know, big guys out there, the Disney universals, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of competitors, but you know, they, they definitely, you know, hire a lot and then they lay everyone off. I mean, everyone was laid off during COVID. We were one of the few groups that stayed rocking and rolling through COVID because we had figured out how to use technology and, uh, remote work to to pull all this stuff off, but uh, yeah, like I said, there's there's a lot of other safer industries to go to, into if if you're just wanting a guaranteed paycheck. And you know, I have Asian parents that just wanted me to to be a doctor, and and so they bought me operation when years ago. I'm like, I can't take the pressure. I don't want to be a doctor <laughs> or a lawyer. But uh, you know, we've you know, it is such a great industry because it is you really do need you do need lawyers, you do need engineers, you do, you need so many different. Uh, personality types. Um, but yeah, the, the usual advice is always just be, find something you're really passionate about and get really dang good at it. If not the best at it, and you'll probably be all right. All right. And believe it or not, you're also a podcaster. So why don't yeah, you tell us about your podcast? 
Well, thanks for reminding me of that. That yeah, the themedattraction.com podcast uh, is our podcast that I started with uh, my co-host Skipper Freddie, former uh, Jungle Cruise skipper and one of our producers. And again, we've had guys like Tom Morris, Tony Baxter. I'm sure we've had some similar you know guests on it. Ours has been more focused. It really was a little bit of an extension of some of the edu- thought leadership teaching stuff. It was really focused on casting a wide net, especially to the next generation uh, and being a portal for, again, uh, someone that might be a fan, but might have that little bit bit of spark or seed of creativity that might want to be interested in, first of all, finding out that there is an industry uh, of experienced designers and developers and that there's different disciplines. Not everybody is this great salesman, showman, PT Barnum. Not everyone Mm -hmm. is a a fine artist. You know, a lot of times people gravitate towards the celebrity designers that either have the 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 best selling art pieces or are just the best uh, at presenting or marketing or selling you know not everybody's a Joe Rody or a Tony Baxter uh, but you know there's there's so many different uh, skill sets and disciplines that come into that so uh, a lot of our passion there has been about um, you know bringing in different people from different disciplines you know as you know just Imagineering had over 140 different disciplines so uh, that's been fun. Uh, we, and, and obviously, um, the, the academic professorial side of me uh, loves those history deep dives. So we've gone down the rabbit hole of talking about different ways of delivering projects in terms of who's, who, what's the executive structure, who's in charge, who makes the decision when the creative director and the project manager is butting head, who's got the 51% vote, you know, and so we'll, we'll go down all kinds of weird rabbit holes. We're not just saying, oh, what's the best roller coaster in the country right now that's opening up or, you know, whatever. I mean, because we're fans too, but, but we, we actually really want to do that deep dive and understanding how you make that magic work and what's, uh, what's lost and found. Over the oh, over the decades of collective brain damage, that was my next question. What was your favorite roller coaster? I guess yeah. I asked him. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for ruining it. Awesome, awesome. I well, Blasi is pretty awesome. <laughs> there's there's so many good ones. Yeah, I tell you one thing, guys. It just feels like we just photocopied Tom Morris, like right into this. Whoa, it's just like, well, dude, it, I'll dude, take that it, as a high it, compliment. It, it, man. It's That's so crazy. great because because I mean. Your, your sentiment on the importance of having um, who did what, who did where, why did they do it, things like that. And we're all for that here on this podcast. We like knowing who's behind person A, why is person A so successful, what do they do, and things like that. And it sounds like uh, your podcast, I mean, n- nailing things like that. I think uh, more, more, more people should be talking about that. You know, it's great to have podcasts that talk about what's your, you know, what's your favorite Disney uh, restaurant or what's your favorite. But knowing, you know, Joe and Bill were the guys who thought about this restaurant and this is why we have this restaurant, things like that. I, 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 I think that's incredible. And I think. Well, yeah, you've got, you know, you used to have the DVD extras. And I guess other than like the Imagineering story, you know, there's just, you know, we don't get screen credits, right, in our industry. And, and, to be honest with you, I know that our people work just as hard as anyone does on a feature film, right? And the the impacts of our the fruit of our work efforts, you know, they they actually have to stay up. They have to stay, stand the test of time. They they they're not just good to stream, uh, you know, on a on a screen for ninety minutes. And um and so yeah, there's just so much recognition that that should uh, you know happen. And uh, another thing that is kind of related to the podcast is I actually started a a recording series for uh, what we call TIA Masters, Themed Entertainment Association Masters of the Craft, that have been officially designated by our peers as genuine legends and gurus. And so I have a whole series that I'm doing with the Themed Entertainment Association where we get to uh, capture a lot of these guys, um, you know, sometimes in their older years um, before, uh, the, you know, those stories are just totally lost to, to history. A lot of them aren't, you know, they're just not the people that were ever looking for the limelight or the glory or, you know, uh, you know, walking around doing speeches. And so we have to find them, dig them up and, and, you know, squeeze the story out of them, but it's so worth it because they're just such amazing nuggets. And I think, uh, we, we had, uh, Tom Nabon, um, the original Tom Sawyer, just, just hearing them just, you know, they're, they're just giddy. They're just excited to talk about, you know, the, the years that they put in and what it meant, you know, especially those who actually had the opportunity to talk to Walt Disney himself and things like that and how, you know, their 
their conversations were or their mannerisms around Walt when he came and things like that. I, I, I think a lot of that is lost in, you know, not hearing the stories because, you know, they you you may you may know certain um imaginaries or certain people who worked on certain things, but until you actually hear their stories, I think that's that's very crucial to what Disney is and how Disney is um formed and where it's going to go in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, just the, uh, the state of the art form, just like if you think about film, you know, the filming a black and white film is pretty different from doing, you know, a current CG feature, right? So even the, the art of imagineering spatial storytelling experience design, it is really changed it's gotten more sophisticated sometimes for the better sometimes we lose things right over time there's there's peaks and valleys of uh, of quality right here and so it's it's really to me fascinating to understand the different journeys of different people that are working at different eras or different budgets and scopes and scales guys that you know are working at the scale of regional parks right that uh you know uh have a completely different capital uh, expense uh, reality versus you know having the the luxury of taking seven years to 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 bring an IP to life within a, a Disney kind of ecosystem you know completely night and day kind of uh, you know kind of uh, things and there and of course there's some people like us that have jumped between those realities on a daily basis you know <laughs> you know three months versus three years you know. All right. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, why don't you go ahead and uh, share, you know, your website and any of the social media that you would like our listeners to come check you out. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, yeah. My personal Instagram is just uh, visioneer, uh, the word vision, E-E-R. Uh, and uh, our website is Storyland Studios. Uh, obviously got all the social media uh, there from Facebook to LinkedIn to uh, Instagram, uh, so on and so forth. So, uh, themed attraction.com is, uh, where our podcast lives. It's obviously on Apple podcasts and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, themed attraction.com was, uh, one of the early, uh, few, uh, you know, last men standing <laughs> websites, uh, representing kind of, uh, especially the, the kind of imagineers and the, the doers in the industry. So see you there. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. We want to thank our guest, uh, Mel McGowan, for joining us tonight. And uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning into another episode of Sharing the Magic. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one and Themed Attraction. And you can also find us on all social media at Sharing the Magic Pod. And until next time, keep sharing the magic.